0: Welcome to Your Path to Nonprofit Leadership, the podcast that equips you with the latest insights and strategies to advance your career in the nonprofit sector. I'm your host, Patton McDowell, and thrilled to have you join me for another strategic leadership conversation. Now, as we continue our podcast journey together, I'm excited to share that our consulting practice, PMA Nonprofit Leadership, is approaching its 15th anniversary in February of 2024, and now includes work with nearly 300 nonprofit organizations just like yours. Stay tuned for the launch of our brand new website in conjunction with this anniversary. And it's designed to enhance your experience and provide even more valuable resources like this podcast and other programs and activities we offer as a firm. February 2024 is also significant to this podcast, as we will be releasing our 250th episode. It has been an incredible journey, and I'm grateful for your continued support and engagement. Now, in this episode number 246, I had the privilege of hearing from a really visionary leader, Terry Beckman. She is the founder and CEO of Heigl, which stands for High Impact Growth Oriented Leaders. Terry's consulting practice combines her lifelong passion in integrating Eastern and Western psychology with organizational behavior, business, leadership, and wellness. And Heigl then aligns these leadership behaviors and business drivers and has had remarkable success helping nonprofit leaders just like you. We talk about some of the biggest challenges nonprofit leaders are facing, especially as they try to build capacity within their organization. And she brings up a fascinating concept. She calls the capacity dilemma that I bet you can appreciate. It's the scenario where your organization is not quite achieving its capacity, but everyone on the team feels like they are over capacity, overloaded. So Terry's going to give you advice as to how to deal with with exactly that. Without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Terry Beckman. Terry, thank you for joining me on the path.
1: Oh, I am so happy to be here, Pat, and thank you for inviting me.
0: Uh, Terry, it's my pleasure. I'm excited for our listeners who are going to learn a lot from you. You have had wonderful experiences in the nonprofit sector with a focus on nonprofit leadership, and in particular, as the title of this episode implies, capacity and capacity building. In fact, you have termed it a capacity dilemma in many cases, and I know we're going to get to unpack that and what you have seen and experienced, but let me start with that question. What do you think is the biggest challenge nonprofit leaders are facing as they try to build more capacity within their organization?
1: Yeah, that's a great question, Patton. Um, And, you know, as I think about that um, and I think about like the, you know, what would they say, right? And I I think that leaders would probably point to many different things like building a team, you know, uh, consistent fundraising, board development, right? All of these things really contribute to capacity, but if I really boil it down, you know, if I really think about kind of if if I could get to kind of a bottom line, honestly, I think it's the CEO's own mind yeah. is, you know, the biggest challenge. And the internal voices that we either listen to or don't listen to, I think, honestly, are the biggest challenges.
0: That's such a good point. And you're right. I think it starts with the external the volume of activity, the hats that our nonprofit leader friends are forced to wear. But you make a great point that perhaps it's our own internal challenges and the volume of voices maybe speaking to us. So I know you're going to help for someone listening right now who maybe is hearing too many voices in their uh, in their internal monologue. You're going to help us break it down. and And of course, that leads, Terry, to the question, how did you get into this work that you do now to help nonprofit leaders with capacity building?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. Um I worked, you know, in the sector for decades. Um <laughs> and you can see the white hair. Well you can't your your listeners can't see it, but I do have some white hair.
0: You've earned it though, right? Yeah. Yeah, right.
1: that's right. I've earned it. Um so in a lot of different roles, you know, as a as a project manager, eventually as an executive director. And especially when I was in a leadership role, you know, running the organization. um, What I experienced was I, I and it really surprised me, but I saw my capacity grow, meaning my ability to lead bigger organizations and to help organizations grow by, you know, significant, you know, measurable amounts My capacity to do that grew when my mind matured, like in a very deliberate way. And it had nothing to do with me gaining more technical knowledge or expertise. And this honestly was a very big surprise for me because, you know, for years I just thought, well, I just need to learn how that financing works. Right. And,
0: you know,
1: I need to learn the next trick. Um. But going through this kind of growth process, sort of again, sort of psychological mind growth process, going through that repeatedly, and I mean still going through it honestly, with the help of coaches, and um, I've I've been able to study. Also, it's really helped me personally is studying Buddhist psychology, as well wow. as you know, kind of taking deep dive into business development and marketing. Um, those things together brought me to the point where I felt like I could serve nonprofit leaders in some very specific ways um, so that maybe they didn't, they could learn faster than how long it took me.
0: How far along were you on your journey? And when, I guess you, it sounds like you literally had almost an aha moment when uh, you changed your perspective, I guess, as to how leadership yeah. might occur or talk, talk about that. Was it a moment almost in Um, in your career?
1: Yeah, I think it was a, there was a particular experience. And now that experience is probably 25 years ago um, where I was the executive director, um, pretty overwhelmed, had never reported to a board before, um, was responsible for raising a big budget. And I hired, I did hire a leadership coach and he, um, he helped me, you know, to to really grow my own, you know, my own sense of what was possible, like of, wow. of, of what I could do and how I could lead. And and even more than that, like what was possible for the organization and and being having the courage to like. Be honest about what I really saw and the courage to actually step into that. Right. And to commit to, yeah, this is where we, you know, this is what I see. And this is where I want to take this, you know, not alone. You need a team. um, But, you know, and it worked, you know. So I think that was probably pretty pivotal where it was like the first time, I guess, was my experience doing that. I didn't, though it was a much longer journey to get to the point where I had my own business doing this. Right. Um, right. Cause I continued to, you know, work as a, an, an executive director. And then eventually I, um, I want, I knew I wanted to do this work. I wanted to do more of the organizational development work, but I didn't, I, I still needed training in that. And so I, I hooked up with a, a group that was based out of Berkeley for about eight years who had some really strong models and um yeah. And then eventually that partnership kind of fell away and I realized I, to continue to do that work, I would need to start my own business. And so that was 10 years ago. So that's Fantastic. Kind of how it's evolved.
0: Well, and I love the fact that you're lifting up coaching. We all can use coaching and I think I'm seeing, uh, I hope you are too, maybe an increasing awareness in the nonprofit sector of the value of coaching clearly, you and I both have benefited from that practice, and but speaking of practices, I have to ask you: uh, What takeaways could our listeners, in terms of the Buddhist philosophies and practices that you've studied, what what are some headlines there that might benefit uh, a nonprofit leader listening right now?
1: Mm, wow, yeah, that's a really good that's a really good question. Um, yeah, you know, Patton, I think what's been what I've been studying most recently so this is you know what's been on my mind um and what I'm working with in my you know with in my own mind, right is like really one thing that's really fascinating and this is just a bit of neuroscience is that you know the way we understand reality, the way we interpret reality is a hundred percent through our senses, right through
0: yes, seeing, yes.
1: hearing tasting, smelling, feeling, and through the mind. Um, And there's a delay that happens with that, right? And it's, it's a quick delay. But like, even with the eyes, right, to see something, you know, it goes in through the eye, there's, it's interesting how many neurons there are in the eyes, like some crazy number. And there's like one neuron that goes back into the brain for wow. um, interpretation. right? So there's already within the eye, like all this stuff going on that is not conscious, that is sort of telling us what we're seeing, right? So that there's no, we appears that there's no gap in what we're seeing because there's like these 9 million neurons saying, oh, well, it could be this, it could be that. Basically what they're doing is going back into the file drawer of what we have seen before and it's trying to tell us, well, it must be this right?
0: Yes, right.
1: So super helpful on just a very practical level. So like we don't step on a cobra, right?
0: (laughs) Right, right.
1: But what we don't realize is that we're not actually seeing what's happening. We're seeing what the mind is conjuring up for us based on our past experience. And again, this is helpful. This is helpful because we need to get along in the world and be able to recognize A cobra versus a rope, but it also really gets us in trouble because we don't realize that we're not actually seeing what's really happening. And this is happening on every one of our senses. There's this filtering going on, Um, and so there's a real delay. Also, there's a real delay in that, like there's one neuron going back to the to the brain you know, many less than actually the ones that are trying to figure out what's going on. And so there's also this, there's this kind of built in bias, and then there's a delay in going back to the brain, and then coming back forward, deciding, okay, I see this, and I'm going to take some action. So it's just, you know, I think it's really helpful to understand that, that um, we really don't know what's happening.
0: Exactly. (laughs) Don't trust your senses. And but that's fascinating and i think it it almost forces a, a a reflection doesn't it that we cannot absolutely trust the immediate senses and it seems to me that makes you a more thoughtful leader
1: yeah yeah and it i i think it also you know there is a deeper knowledge this also comes out of of buddhist psychology that there is a Everything we need to know is actually right here. It's right here, just by virtue of how the world is constructed. And so if we can realize that, you know, if we can stop kind of leaning on our internal biases so much, I mean, we don't want to throw them out the window because they are useful, right? Again, not to step on the cobra or the the copperhead, but But realizing that that's really their best use, right, is in a very practical sense. And if we're trying to do something big with our organization or have an impact in our lives, there's a lot more going on than just kind of what the gross level senses are telling us.
0: Yeah. Well, Terry, thank you for that bonus content. In Buddhist psychology and neuroscience. <laughs> I know that wasn't uh, necessarily part of our uh, discussion outline, but you uh, wonderfully informed, and I couldn't resist uh, getting you to elaborate. And I know our listeners now have another reason to learn more about you and your practice. In fact, why don't you do that? Give us the elevator speech of your practice and the work you're doing.
1: Well, sure. You know, so... And High Goal, we High Goal is a little bit of a play on words. So I like to say it stands for high impact growth-oriented leaders. And that really is who we 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 like to work with, folks who want are wanna grow um, and want to have more impact in the world. Um, and so we work with when we work with folks, we're we're able to pretty consistently help them increase their impact and their revenue. By fifty percent in twelve months. Um, wow! We're not fundraising consultants, Patton. You know, like I, I say that, and people are like, "Oh, you do fundraising."
0: Yeah, right. That's what I would react, maybe burst yeah. with that thought.
1: Yeah, and we do do some, and I, I we we do have a I have a team member who's like really, really good at that, which I'm so happy. She's on our team now, um, but it's mostly around alignment work is really mostly around alignment so how do you how do you get clear on what the potential of your organization is right your vision essentially for the future the impact you want to have in the world once that's clear how do you how do you make one that's shared right so it's not just the ceo's vision but you know your team your board and then how do you align all your resources behind that you know and that's like right your your human resources, your financial resources, your time. Once that alignment starts to happen, honestly, the fundraising almost happens by itself. It just becomes so much easier. And you know that, I'm sure, as as a fundraising expert.
0: Well, I'm delighted you lift that up because you're right. I think sometimes people talk to the tactics of fundraising, and I think you're absolutely spot on that it starts with that alignment. Are we maximizing? the capacity of the resources, the personnel, whether it be staff, volunteers, board members, et cetera. And it sounds like that's what you do, right? You're coming in to help an organization maximize that capacity, which I know we'll talk about even further.
1: Yes, that's right. That's right.
0: Well, well, let me ask you one more, though, before we go to organizational capacity, uh, how about you personally, as a busy leader in this, leading an organization, working with organizations, how do you deal with the the many hats you wear, uh, and maybe the many voices in your head uh, that you stay aligned? And and frankly, you've been incredibly productive. Are there any tools or tricks you found to help you do that?
1: Oh, my gosh. Yeah. I mean, it's a journey, right? We, <laughs> it's, it's still a journey. It's it, never right. it never ends. It never ends. And we you know we we want, we have lots of as human beings right we're on this earth and we it's not going to end well right like yeah. death is is the future for all of us and right. um along the way there's lots of obstacles and so yeah i this it is a constant practice of of realignment and reminding you know what are we doing here why are we here and how can we move more towards alignment today, this week, this month, um, even with whatever obstacles there are. Um, And so, yeah, I'd be happy to share some of the tools. One is, um, there's a tool that I call, I don't call it, was given to me actually by another coach. Her name is, I want to give her the credit, Christine Kane. It's called the Sunday Summit. And I'd be happy to share this with your listeners. It's just a, a series of questions that right. I asked myself on Sunday night actually more Monday morning for me um, and it's it helps to just really align like, you know what were the wins from last week? What am I looking at this week that I need to get ready for? What are the things that I have not made decisions on that are pending? you know and what are my three top priorities for the week and then pick one that you are just completely committed? to making sure that happens. Um, and I just, I find that as an organizing principle every week to be really helpful.
0: Love that. Um, Love it. And I, I've yeah. developed a, a similar, for me, it's been a, it become a Saturday morning ritual. Okay. But I am a big fan of the weekly ritual or something like what you describe. but that's perfect. So that for you um, is both uh, helps you with alignment and sounds to me like it's very practical. It helps you organize your your week ahead as well as reflect on the week behind.
1: Yes, yes. And, and you know, and genuinely celebrate wins. I think that we don't do Good that point. enough, right, as a culture and as leaders. You know, it, uh, wins are just even the smallest wins, right? You know, acknowledging that gives you momentum. Otherwise, we're really on a path towards burnout if we're just checking off the to-do list and we don't really acknowledge what we've been able to accomplish um another one that I'll mention just in passing here that we've implemented in the last year in our company is the 12 week year and um that is a is a book well, um, yeah
0: speaking of good books right
1: yeah, and it, it's an. I like the old books. Uh, well, not all, but I I do I do kind of go back to the
0: classics. Kind of the
1: classics because <laughs> yeah. they're they're so well done. So that's by Brian Moran, and um, it it essentially is a planning tool. You know, you could say for the quarter, but he really wants you to think about your quarter as a year because it gives you a, a whole nother level of momentum right and that we have around like yearly rituals where you're really going for some big goals every quarter and you're tracking your tactics weekly and you're committing to those weekly and i think especially if you have a team um this is incredibly helpful and you know so we've all got shared goals but we we have different tactics we have different roles right in in being able to contribute towards that goal and um for somebody like me who's kind of easily distracted, um, likes to be creative, resists, you know, structure, honestly, that structure has been incredibly beneficial to just help me stay on track and stay aligned with where I really want to be going.
0: It's fantastic. And again, I love the tactical takeaway there, because I think many of us have, uh, you know, and I'm not against long range planning, nor are you, but when we start getting into one, three, and five-year plans, they kind of fade off into the yeah, ethos. And right. you're 12-week, uh, and I'm a big fan of Brian Moran's book as well. It sounds like that just keeps you focused uh, all the time.
1: Yeah, it does, if you're working it, right?
0: Yeah, exactly. You'd have to be accountable <laughs> yeah. to the plan, though, don't you? Have,
1: you? Yeah, and, <laughs> you know, we meet weekly and go through it. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah it, when you do that, it works.
0: Well. Wonderful. Yeah. Thank you again, Terry. Already we've got some takeaways that will help the individual. Uh, I, I want to get into a particular area of expertise for you. There are many, but this capacity dilemma phrase that we've mentioned in the title of this episode. And you talk about the capacity dilemma. And and, and I want you to help explain that if you would. It, you talk about operating organizationally below capacity, yet our people I think feel like they're overloaded. Uh, yeah. so you right. will explain better than I what is right. the capacity dilemma.
1: Well, you know, it's interesting because I, I keep thinking it's gonna we're gonna get over it. Um, but <laughs> right. you know, then then these surveys come out by, you know, the Council of Nonprofits and these big national organizations, and we're still doing it. So um, you know, nonprofits have um vacancy rates that are significantly higher than the private sector. Yeah, it's troubling. Right. it is it is troubling you know i think on the national average is like 19% um almost 20% of the you know positions within organizations are empty um versus i think around 10 for the private sector so it's it's we're approaching almost double wow um which is not not good no. and um you know so and it's been this has been going on you know since sometime in covid <laughs> this started and um it's really it's very problematic i you know i've seen many of my clients go through it um what happens and a lot of times it's frontline workers right that we're not able to fill those positions and um a lot of revenue gets left on the table right because we can't fill classrooms we can't we can't complete contracts we can't even sign contracts because we don't have. I'm speaking for them; they don't have the capacity, right, to fulfill them. Even if the you know somebody's offering them a contract, they can't take it.
0: Right. So, right.
1: Um, yeah, it's bad for everybody. You know, it means that services are not happening um, at, under capacity. In that way, the community is not being served. The demand is there. The community is not being served. And the nonprofit is, is losing revenue, like it's there, it, it the, becomes the vicious
0: much, cycle, isn't it? Yeah.
1: Yeah. Much more difficult to run a sustainable organization. So, of course, then the, the outcome of that is that the team members that are left are like have to pick up the pieces a yeah. lot of times. And yeah. so they're like stretched, right? Stretched, stretched beyond capacity. So we've got this overcapacity going on where there's totally stretched and then organizationally there's this under capacity where these positions because in a way these positions are not are not being filled um
0: so makes makes total sense the dilemma is now much clearer thanks to your explanation that despite the feeling of individual overload the organization is not performing and frankly what the community needs right and uh, it, it's a, it's painful on both sides of that equation. Of course, it leads to the question, Terry, that you know is coming. It, given this exodus or this challenge of hiring talented individuals in our sector, what can organizations do to help with attracting and retaining good people? Uh, or have you seen some organizations that are particularly helpful, I mean, successful in that, that might be, maybe would give ideas to our listeners?
1: Yeah, yeah. I I sincerely believe that this contradiction is resolvable, um, and yeah. I, you know, the I'm going to describe a little bit the kinds of organizations that don't really have this problem, right? So there's a few questions I think as leaders that we want to ask ourselves if we're facing this. And the first, th- the first question I would ask is. And it maybe it seems a little bit removed from, like, trying to find somebody to fill this frigging job. But the question is, do you have a clear vision for the future of the organization? Like, do you know what are you trying to build here? Right? Right. And I know when you're, like, trying to, you know, fill the hole in what feels like a sinking boat, you know, that's a really hard question to ask. Um, and maybe you do need to do some triage to fill the boat, but as quickly as possible, you want to create the time and the space to be able to answer that question and not be afraid of it. It's just so important for you and for the team and for the board to have this shared vision of where you're trying to go in the future. And you know, then that leads to you know, what are the values and the behaviors that are going to be required to get to the kind of impact that you want to have? So that's another question that a lot of times goes unanswered. And then, you know, where there's a void like that, people just make stuff up, right? They bring all their personal baggage to work, all their personal preferences, because nobody is telling them, like, this is how we do it here, because this is our vision and mission. Right. So that's another place doesn't take, you know, it's not rocket science, but, it, you know, you, you have to give some attention to that. Right. Um, and this is what makes you special. Right. So right. if 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 I'm looking at an organization, say, as a as an employee, a potential employee. Right. If it's clear to me, like, wow, this is where they want to go. This is the impact they want to have in the community these are their values. These are the behaviors that I'm seeing in the organization. There's actual alignment there. Like they're living out their values, right? This is what makes you special. And for me as a potential employee, you know, it's the question of, well, you know, is that something I want to be part of? Is that important to me? Right? Absolutely. Then you start to attract the people who align with you, who can actually recognize that you have what they're seeking and who then are willing to commit themselves to do whatever it takes to get to that vision right
0: yeah i'm i'm struck by that very helpful takeaway and that talented people yes they're going to look at the job description but they're going to look to you as the leader right to articulate this vision and i wonder in in terms of practical application do do non leaders need to do a better job, maybe, of articulating that vision, which indeed is what makes them and the organization special? In other words, you're suggesting talented people are looking for that.
1: Yes, absolutely. And I, yeah, they need to be good at articulating it. They need to be much better at articulating it. Uh, we advise our clients that that stuff goes into the advertising. That goes yes, into the job yes. description, right? So that. Yeah, people can actually see, like, what, what is really the deal here? Um, and it's, you know, the advertising, the job description, those are all, that's marketing collateral. We don't often think of it that way, but that is marketing collateral. You're marketing your organization. And, it, you know, I also really, I so many job descriptions basically read like to-do lists, right? And then it's always a exactly. thing. The thing at the bottom, like in other duties as a sign. <laughs> do we all love that one?
0: <laughs> yeah, it's buried, but you can't help but uh, notice it.
1: Yeah, yeah, like, okay. Um, I, instead of talking about the to do list, like you're going to, they're going to get to the frigging to do list soon enough. You know, I encourage people instead to think about the outcomes you want to see from the efforts of this person. Help them understand how they will contribute directly. How will they contribute directly to your mission and vision? And let them see the impact that they could have on the lives of the people that you that you work with. This is that's, much more compelling than a to do list, right?
0: Uh, that's fantastic. And again, if that uh, permeates the entire organization, right? I guess it's not just the senior leadership, but if everyone feels like they are part of something bigger than themselves, they all become good ambassadors, right, for other talented candidates that Absolutely. are in the community.
1: Yeah, and and your turnover goes down because people are then, you know, well, and this this is a cultural thing, right, too. So if this is something that you're reinforcing and you're talking about regularly, people they they do understand, they start to understand on a gut level that they're part of something bigger. And people are just, you know, willing to do a lot more for something that's bigger than themselves. You know, you just they they're willing to take responsibility and just because it's meaningful. You know, you're making, you're giving people the opportunity to live a meaningful life. Um, I think, you know, the other thing I want to mention, Patton is. You know, and this kind of goes into the cultural piece is you've got to look at your own operations, the people that are already there yeah, and, you know, and really assess, you know, do individuals have a true voice in the day to day operations and decisions or are they simply told what to do from the top down?
0: I'm I'm guessing you see bad examples of that or in other words, many of the team members don't feel like they have a voice.
1: Yeah, I you know I think when you see really high rates of turnover, that's almost always that tells you something. Yeah, yeah, that people that that what that's indicating is that this is a transactional culture, right? I'm coming to work for a paycheck, and yeah. you know when I get burned out, I'm gonna you know we're just fed up or nobody's listening to me, which you know most frontline workers would describe their experience like that. They yeah. leave, you know, and somebody's gonna get. Rid- $0.50 cents an hour or more someplace else, you know? Um, so I think that the top-down, you know, the top-down kind of industrial model of management is crumbling. It just really doesn't work anymore in in this digital age where people can make money on the Internet so fast and so easy, right? Um We've got to be able to start to think about a more collaborative leadership model where people, you know, that really unleashes the potential of all of the employees. Um, I, and I'm not, I'm not talking about a free for all where people yeah, right, can do right, whatever right, they want.
0: Right, right. But well, but I was going to ask you how how do we where you've seen that done well? How does it translate? Is it the nature of meetings? Is it the nature of the kind of one-on-one communications from senior leadership to those that work with them? Or w- what does that look like if I'm listening, like, all right, I need to do better in my organization. What do I need to do?
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's such a great question. Um, and it, you know, I think it, 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 there's like different ways, different organizations enter this journey in different from different places. Right. Um, but I will say like, I, I will say one thing that's um, consistent is the job of senior leadership changes, so it goes from being, I'm 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 developing the vision, I'm developing the strategies and the tactics, you know, or me and my executive team, and you know now executive team, you you're running these departments, you you give this out to people, and you do performance management, you make sure that they do their jobs, right? That's kind of the old model, and in this in this new way of working their their roles change so it becomes one of communicating the vision and the impact that we want to have and and getting consensus around that right so it really becomes shared and then the strategies are developed by the frontline people and it it goes the communication goes back and forth right we, we figure out it's an iterative process of figuring out what actually works to be able to get the impact and the results that we want. Because the frontline people are dealing with the clients, they're dealing with the customers, they're dealing with the members, the patients. They actually are seeing day to day what's working and what's not working.
0: Right, right.
1: And most of the time that information is trapped, right? There's no outlet for them other than, you know... Writing some nasty thing on social media, there's no outlet for them to be able to give that like critical feedback back to management. Often, I mean, they're just you know once a year performance reviews or whatever. It's ridiculous. That's like, not
0: yeah. It's not going to do it, is it?
1: No. How, how could we expect that to work? You know. So I, I do have some graphics that I can share with you as well, but I like to sort of think of the old way as a pyramid and the new way as a s as a, ser- a series of concentric circles okay. where there's communication. Flowing. um, So you've got sort of the executive team in the center. There's communication flowing back and forth between the different departments and then within the different departments, because that's the other thing we see, right, is this high level of siloization once organizations get to a certain level where they have their own little regimes that they're protecting and, you know, who suffers are, are the, you know, the people that we're trying to serve, right? Because the, the experience of dealing with the agency is very fragmented. Right. And you know, there's just a lot of problems that result um, <laughs> from that.
0: Well, I'm not laughing at that problem, but you're right. There's a lot of things that come into play there. But, I, again, love the fact that you're lifting up the importance of clarity of vision. Compelling vision brings talented individuals into the organization, making them feel they're part of something special. And you're saying, again, allowing for their voice uh, from actual, uh, not just the performative annual review, but uh, evaluations and not being afraid, I guess, Terry, right of, of evaluation so that we can get better.
1: Yeah. And honestly, what I really like to see is, is organizations adopt a coaching model, right? where managers are that, you know, there's a shared, there's shared values again, and there's a a shared expectation around the impact we're trying to have together. And so the coaching relationship then, you know, evolves where it's, you know, you're, you're helping this person really unleash their potential. And, you know, you're, the feedback goes both ways. And, And, you know, so the, the main roles are, Again, like we talked about the roles changing, you're communicating out, we're getting we're getting clarity and agreement around the impact that we want to have. And then your main job as leader is to help remove the obstacles for the person doing the actual work, helping remove the obstacles that could be, you know, that could be mindset obstacles, that could be obstacles in the community, that could be obstacles in the organization, Right, but that and then giving them the resources that they need to be able to perform. So that's those are the two main things: removing obstacles and giving them the resources they need. It's not telling them what to do, right? Which is sort of the old job description. Good point.
0: Right. All right, Terry, that's fantastic. Uh, again, particularly as it relates to uh, we worry about the turnover issues, and then you've given us some prescriptions uh, for that uh, as it relates to individuals, especially the talented individuals that we want to retain. Uh, Let's finish this conversation around capacity. And and can you give me some headlines as it relates to the other group often (laughs) affecting our board, I mean, our uh, nonprofit leaders, which is, of course, their board of directors. So any headlines there that you might share in terms of what you've seen, uh, good, bad, or ugly, that maybe we need to work on?
1: Right. I mean, I think the board. Right. That's super important. That the. I mean, really, their. You know, part. Their big part of their job is is helping to set the vision. Right. So it, the vision needs to absolutely be shared with them. And I think, um, it, you know, finding ways to truly engage the board is a is a really maybe one of the most important jobs of the executive director or the CEO and I think it's one that you know most boards are like really underutilized unfortunately you've got this group of volunteers that you know could be huge advocates huge resource raisers um huge obstacle removers right if they're connected into the community and right um most boards are not functioning at that level um and so there's you know, there's a whole education that has to happen with executive directors, I think, around how can they really effectively build relationships with board members and um, help that board, you know, to to really be a high performing board. I don't know, does that help? does that answer your question?
0: It does. And and again, it it it's consistent with I know what you have shared in terms of a high performing organization that starts with the leader. It certainly uh, affects the the team, the staff. Uh, but I figured you might connect that dot as well to the board leadership. Because uh, yeah. if they're if they're not aligned, right, uh, it's another way that uh, capacity is diminished, and that Absolutely. seems to me to be yes. uh, among the chief headlines you're you're bringing to us today.
1: Yes, align. Yeah, board alignment is incredibly important. Yes, you know, and you can't do all of this like. In a day, right?
0: Like we're <laughs> sure. we're talking about yes. some
1: big things here, and going back to that capacity um, question. Um, but I think you start where you are, and you know, as you start to pull one thread and 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 start to get alignment in one area, maybe it feels small to start with. Maybe you just start to change how you have your one-on-one conversations. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Maybe you're, you know, you start by changing your job description a little bit. Maybe you know, I don't know. You could pick any of these ideas we've been talking about. They build on each other, right? So you really can start small and and just keep working at it, building building block by building block.
0: That's so well put. And at least do something, right? If yeah. there is a call to action uh, among the many great ideas you've shared with our listeners, for that I'm grateful. I want to thank you for that and. Of course I guess in closing Terry any final advice for someone listening who you're right is probably considering lots of things they need to do but any final advice for someone in nonprofit leadership or maybe wanting to get into nonprofit leadership what would you say
1: Um I would say I mean for somebody wanting to get in I I would say you know it's a really it's a really exciting place to be because you can you know you can bring your passion and you can you can integrate that with you know your business sense your business you know capacity and really make an impact in the world and have fun doing it and build all kinds of interesting great relationships so it's a complicated world i mean i think it's easier to honestly to be in kind of the private for profit world
0: <laughs> right right
1: um but i think this world can be you know, just a very satisfying way to spend your time.
0: Um,
1: you know, for leaders that are are, are uh, seasoned and in this world, and and uh, you know, challenged by some of what we've been talking about. One thing I I wanted to share is that we're we're doing a, a CEO retreat in March, um, actually here in North Carolina at, a, at the Haw River State Park. They have a conference center there. I'm so excited. We're going to be in nature and we're, we're going to spend a day and a half or so really helping leaders um begin to unpack their own minds and and just be able to in a gentle way sort of see patterns that perhaps have not served leaders so well and just starting to have the opportunity to see that that you know that there could be another way of being and having the time and the space to to really think about the Potential for where you want to take the organization, like in, in that clarity of knowing yourself better and, you know, then really being able to see what the potential for your future is and and some of the things that might need to happen for you to get there. Um, so it's the first time I'm doing this in, in such a formal way. I, I feel right. like I, it's also an opportunity to build a small community that will be limited to 10 folks. Um, and we'll do some continued support after, after the retreat. Um, but I honestly, I feel like, like this is really the key. I've I've done some coaching work with CEOs where when we've done this kind of work together, they don't really need any more strategy work after that patent. Right. Right. You know, it's, then they know what to do. So yeah, I just, I just, my experience has been, it can be so profoundly impactful for folks that I I wanted to. Just kind of offer this and see if we can, you know, open some things up for folks.
0: It's fantastic and delighted to lift it up. And of course, another reason I will encourage our listeners to check out the show notes for this episode so they can learn more, Terry, about what you're doing and opportunities like that retreat you described before we get into the absolute goodbye uh, you knew this was coming. I, I ask every guest for a book recommendation. So, might you share a book that's been meaningful to you that maybe you'd recommend to our listeners?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I always like to share what I'm reading currently um, if if I'm enjoying it. And so I'm reading. I'm this is another oldie but goodie. The E Myth. It's the E Myth Revisited by Michael Verber and he he talks primarily his audience is small businesses, but there is, I really don't know of a single nonprofit that these principles would not apply to um, in really developing a solid, sustainable organization um, that can operate without the executive director, you know, in a sense, being in everything, right? So, so we, you know, creating so the, the opportunity for you really to do the more strategic work.
0: It's fantastic as everything else you have shared, Terry. uh, Again, grateful for that. And where would you like people to go to find out more about you and the work you're doing?
1: Yeah, you can find us at highgold.co. So we're not a com, we're a co. It's um, H-I-G-O-L dot C-O. Fantastic. Lots of resources there.
0: Yeah, well, and you've alluded to several. And again, I want to lift them up as well. So Hope our listeners will check you out and the great work you're doing, Terry. and for all of this information, thank you, and thanks as well for joining me on the path.
1: Thank you, Pat. It's been such a pleasure.
0: Well, I know you found this conversation with Terry as insightful and thought-provoking as I did, and I hope it helps you balance your personal capacity as well as that of your team as you look to expand the good work of your nonprofit organization. Now, for more information about Terry and the innovative work she's doing through Heigl, as well as links to some of the other resources she and I discussed, make sure you check out the show notes. This is episode number 246. Just go to our webpage and go to the podcast page in particular, and you'll find information about this episode and all of the episodes that have come through this podcast. If you want to help make this podcast even stronger and you found the advice of Terry helpful, do me two favors. One, share this episode with one other person on the path. I bet you can think of one other person who is also dealing with the capacity dilemma that Terry so wonderfully describes. The Second way you can help us is write a review. We look at every one of them and are grateful for the feedback. And you can do that on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Thank you, as always, for the incredible work you're doing in the nonprofit sector. And again, if you're not subscribed to this podcast yet, just click on the follow button on our podcast page, and that will assure you don't miss any of our weekly episodes. They come out every Thursday. Keep up the good work for causes that are most meaningful to you, and I'll keep bringing you content to help you do it even better. Have a great week. I'll see you next time on The Path.